Yeah, so when it comes to the presence of God and having an awareness of his presence, knowing his presence in our midst, presence is always learned first in the unseen. And this is not normal because we as humans want something tangible, something we can uh, experience. Uh, What's happening in the church is that the church is beginning to lose its ability to engage the presence of God as spirit. As in John 4.24 says, God is spirit. John 4.24 says, God is spirit. And if we as Christians don't learn to engage God who is spirit in the unseen, then what will happen is we will begin to pursue God for tangible rewards. For uh, The church will have to offer people uh, incentives that we can touch and feel before we will learn how to engage with God. So you'll have to say, if you follow Jesus, these are the rewards. If you follow Jesus and you want to pursue him, these are the tangible things you will get. Those are good. God does do things physically. But you first have to learn to connect with this God first in the unseen. And that is something you have to cultivate. You might be sitting here thinking, but I know how to do this. I'm saying to you, you and I haven't even plumbed the depths of how far we can go into God. So as much as you may have gotten accustomed to hearing him, make it, make it a strong desire of yours to engage, negotiate with God's presence first in the unseen. Because how do we normally look for God's answers? We try to see if there's a scripture that will pop out. We try to see if a billboard will say something. We try to see if a bus has something on the side that will perhaps bring a message. There's nothing wrong with all this. God has his own methods. But first I have to engage him spirit to spirit. This should be your desire, spirit to spirit. One of the things that makes it very difficult for us to learn him in the unseen is the desire to have instant answers. You must learn, I must learn to ask God for something, know that he has heard it, and then take the pressure off him. And in taking the pressure off him, I'm actually taking the pressure off me. Because he can handle all kinds of pressure. But when I ask him for something and I know he knows the urgency and then I walk away not caring two hoots about the timing of the answer, I am free to hear in ways that only he can speak. But this must be engaged in the unseen. Otherwise, what will happen is we won't know him as God is spirit. We will know him as the Old Testament God who has to come up with a rainbow or with a writing on the wall or fleas or drawing lots. All those methods ended in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came, everything like that ended because God said, I want you to know me spirit to spirit. And spirit to spirit is an invisible unseen realm where you get to know someone called God. Desire this, eh? Because if you want tangibles, then you will have to look for visible signs as an incentive for pursuing an invisible God. You will have to look for visible signs as incentive for pursuing a visible God. Isn't this true? 
When you pray and you don't see an answer, what do you say? What do most people say? Well, I prayed, nothing happened. This nothing happened is what determines so much with God. Well, what if I knew that because he is my father and because I prayed according to his will and because he has heard me that I have the absolute confidence at this present moment that I have what I asked of him even though I do not see it. I'm quoting scripture, Romans chapter 4, 17 to 20. You know, as soon as Moses who connected Israel to an invisible God, disappeared on Mount Sinai. In Exodus 32, 1, it says the Israelites turned to a beautiful but lifeless golden calf. Exodus 32, 1 puts it this way. And Israel went up to Aaron and said, this Moses is taking too long to come down. The message version says, Moses is taking forever. So why don't you make us some gods to lead us? Uh, and, and so they decided to make a golden calf. This is Israel who's known Yahweh for ages and they now want something tangible to worship. Even when it comes to worship and song, man, let your hearts flow free regardless of whether the worship leader is up to squat or not. It's really not the drumming or the... You know, a worship leader or a drummer can never make worship worse. Worship is something you can do. They can make it better, but they can never make it worse. They can make it better by creating an ability for you to sing, to dance, to connect with God with the words they speak. They cannot make it worse because are you saying that a deaf, dumb and blind person cannot worship? A deaf person can worship, a blind can, person can worship, a person who cannot speak can worship. Worship has nothing to do with the actual stuff that is happening here. Remember this guys, I've said this before, I think five months ago. Once you begin to thirst after tangibles, the thing is, we do not see with our eyes, we see with our minds. We do not see with our eyes, we see with our minds. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Paul puts it this way. The God of this world, as in Satan, has blinded the minds of people. Satan knows, the devil knows, that humans have a tendency to see with their minds, not with their eyes. And therefore, the world will always try to govern your minds with ideas and images so that your pathways can be determined. It's false to think that we see with our eyes. If you saw with your eyes, it, you'd be in a much better place. But it's our minds that begin to spin um, situations. This could happen, that could happen. If I did this, this would be what results. This happened to that person, this did not happen to that person. What if this happens? It's not what you're seeing, it's what you're imagining. We see with our minds, not with our eyes. This is why in Proverbs 4.28 it says, guard the pathways of your mind, guard the pathways of your heart. If you want to have either purity or the potency of your life to stay intact, guard the pathways of your mind and your heart. 
The more habituated I am to the sensory and the visible, the more difficult it will be to connect to an invisible God and his systems. The more habituated I am to the sensory and the visible, the more difficult it becomes to connect to an invisible God and his systems. Let me say that again. The more habituated I am to that which is sensory and that which is visible, the harder it becomes for me to connect to an invisible God and his systems. Any questions? The more habituated I am to that which is sensory and that which is visible, the harder it is for me to connect to an invisible God and his systems. The systems as in the way he does things. What a beautiful thing it is when all of us can begin to sense, one, that God is present. You're not trying to imagine him. You're not trying to create a white beard and flowing robes for him. You just know his, he's present. Just think what a weird and wonderful thing it is that a people who are born again have the ability to know that God is present and then have the ability to know what he wants to do. Uh, what if a people like this began to live like this, not occasionally, but 24-7? What if in your relationship with your wife, relationship with your children, relationships at work, relationships at worship, relationships to difficult situations, you're constantly aware of a God who is invisible, inaudible, but you know he is present and you know what his presence wants to do. Do you know how it incapacitates the enemy? Do you know how it increases your capacity? It's just ridiculous. Men and women in the Old Testament knew how to do that, even though they didn't have the advantage that you and I have, which is that the Holy Spirit is completely in us. Much more so the men in the New Testament who were absolutely aware of this. What a way to live. And here's the good news. It is possible for every man, woman, child under this roof right now. It is possible. It is possible for everyone equally. It is not being held back at all. Any questions? Any thoughts you want to add? Hey, where we are going will require a keen awareness of this kind of living, eh? Where sometimes even though your body is tired, my God, your spirit is awake. And through your physical ears, even though you may not hear much, your spirit just leaps towards. You think that's not possible. Look at what happened to Elizabeth when Mary walked in. Here was a woman who was six months pregnant. She sees her cousin walking in. And what happens? The baby in her womb leaps. At what? Not at some fancy holy word. But all she said was greetings. All we need, guys, is to become aware of this and once we become aware of this, to consciously practice what we've become aware of. And it'll increase, it'll increase, it'll increase. Any questions? Any, any disagreements? Go ahead, Nick. Is it a question or a disagreement? Okay.
Yes, yes. But why even bother about that when we got a bigger father? When you go and ask him for egg, will he give you a stone? When you go ask him for fish, will he give you a snake? When you go ask him for... I got it wrong. Bread, will he give you a scorpion? The point is, he won't give you any of those things. Sure, there's an active enemy who is called the deceiver. Well, man, I would rather focus on the father and then later on focus on the deceiver. There's this amazing thing that happens between a man and a woman when they are close to each other. Nobody else can get in between. It's the same amazing thing that happens with father and child. When a father and child are close, no third party can come and say, I want to be your father. Was Nick deeply affected by that answer? <laughs> he walked out immediately. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Oh. Any other questions? Okay. Guys, so learn to engage his presence in the unseen. Huh? Just think of this. God's invisible rule by his invisible spirit in your invisible inner man. God's invisible rule by his invisible spirit in your invisible inner man. God's invisible rule by his invisible spirit in your invisible inner man. Yeah, man. And it's not uh, sensory or things in the physical senses. Yeah, the sensory and the physical may follow. But 1 Corinthians 2.10 puts it this way. It is the spirit filled that can discern things spiritually. Spiritual things can only be discerned spiritually. So, but because we've gotten so used to uh, having God speak to us physically through some sign or the other... God, God, God in his mercy continues. And if he had a choice, he would stick to Proverbs 27, 20 or 20, 27, which says, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Meaning, I would prefer, Jacob, if you began to sense and discern things from your spirit so that I can use your spirit as a lamp to light your path. But Jacob, because you're so immature and you love these little signs and bus uh, billboards, I am stuck. I just have to continue doing that. But I cannot explain rocket science to you through a bus billboard. And some things are rocket science, eh? So we got to learn this, guys. Any questions? Any thoughts that you want to add to this? It'll be solid fun, man. Just think of it. An invisible God operating in this world through his invisible spirit. Where, preferably, in your invisible inner man. Now do you understand why Paul, 
in Ephesians and in Colossians, what does he pray for? For the strengthening of your muscles, Jacob? No, you got plenty of them. For the strengthening of your soul and your feelings? Nope, they keep flux. What do I pray the strengthening of? I pray the strengthening of the inner man that by the Spirit of God, your inner man might be strengthened. If you learn to engage his presence in the unseen, this is what you're doing. God's invisible rule by the invisible spirit in the invisible inner man. Hey, think of these things, eh? Think of where this is birthed. Righteousness, where is it birthed? Every other religion in the world will birth righteousness externally. Here is a set of rules. Go dip in this river. Go to this particular mosque. Go to this particular temple. Follow these particular rituals and now you're righteous. Everything in every other religion is external, including Judaism. And then where does righteousness start for Christians? In the inner man. Peace. Where does it start? How is it that you observe some guys who are going through really bad situations, but have tremendous peace? Joy. Where does it start? How do people sing in prison? How does Graham Stain's wife forgive her, um, forgive the ones who burnt her husband and children alive and then joyfully continue with God and with the people who burnt? I remember this guy called P.G. Varghese. Some of us have met him. P.G. Varghese, I was listening to a simple sermon by him just day before yesterday and he said a few months ago, he went to where Graham Staines was slain and he stood there and he decided to preach there and set up a church there that had been washed away by the rain and he goes there and he preaches and he said there were people, uh, priests who were speaking and listening and when he had finished preaching one of the priests came down and he said we dishonored the man that was sent here and I was there when that man was burnt to death and we dishonored him. Would you now ask your God to pray and ask him to forgive me and help me start all over again? How does this thing happen? How does righteousness, peace and joy and power happen? Where does it happen? It happens in the inner man. This is the rule of God. The rule of God is not some kind of, I shall now rule the world. The rule of God is righteousness, peace, joy and power in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14, 13 or 13, 14 and 1 Corinthians 4, 20. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, power, and joy. Where does it happen? In the inner man. My God, man, begin to live like this. Ask God, the Ephesians 1.18 and Colossians 2 prayer. Oh God, strengthen my inner man because that's where you want to work. That's how you want me to know you. That's where you want me to discern you. That's where things first begin. These things are birthed in the unseen. Then they begin to increasingly blaze in your life and when that happens guys when that happens then be it one life at a time or one nation at a time you begin to affect things satan's deadly scared of people who have begun to discern things spiritually any questions Yep. So, yeah, how do we further develop the spiritual senses? Yeah. If it's something that's outside of what we're 
Yeah. How do we, how we, how do we develop it? Uh, I'll get there in about nine minutes and 23 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. How do we develop it? One of the ways, guys, is youth, you, uh, always begin to use faith as an accelerant. Like when you want to cause a fire to uh, really um, start burning, you pour something in it that begins to make it really flame up. Use faith as an accelerant. Whenever, because faith is the only thing that can deal with the invisible. Just remember that, guys. My God, some of the things we are saying right now are precious. Faith is the only thing that we can exert from this visible world that works, touches, and gives evidence of the invisible. Faith is the only thing that we can use in this visible world to enter, to shape things in the invisible and make them happen. There's no other instrument on earth that can do that. Faith is the only thing. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He, he said, where faith is present, we touch and handle things unseen. Where faith is present, we touch and handle things unseen. Where faith is present, we touch and handle things unseen. What a contradiction, eh? Where faith is present, we touch and handle things unseen. You know, when this church started, my God, we spent so much time on faith, you would think to yourself, this is all they know. Thank God, eh? Because it's the only thing that works in the unseen. So if you want to be, if you want to engage his presence effectively, to answer what's his name's question. Oh, by the way, I forgot the other announcement. Um, Charlene and, uh, what's your name? Josh. Josh. <laughs> Charlene and Josh are starting their, uh, what's it called? House Church. House church. <laughs> Charlene and Josh are starting their house church in Burnaby. I got that city right uh, on the 18th. So if you remember, pray for them. How do you engage this presence effectively? Given all that we know, we already know how to uh, go about it. We are aware of it. We always talk about it. So how do we engage this presence effectively? Here is, uh, this is where the whole idea of hidden comes in. Um, to engage this presence effectively, you must be hidden. The most important word here is you. You must be hidden. And so what does hidden look like? First, self-determination must end. Self-determination must end. You want to engage this presence effectively? Self-determination must end. John 21, 18. When you were young, uh, someone would take you by the hand and... Uh, 
walk with you as you went. But now that you've grown older, I'm going to tie your hands and take you where you don't want to go. What, is, what does it mean when we say self-determination must end? I must want what my will does not want. I must want what my will does not want. Simply because I love the one who's taking me more than my will itself. I must want what my will does not want. Simply because I love the one who's leading me more than my will itself. I'll say it again. I must want what my will does not want. Simply because I love the one who is leading me. That's the end of self-determination. You want to engage his presence at a level that you've never engaged in? If we get time, I want to sing that song, New Wine, where you're saying, oh God, no longer do I want what I want. I want what I don't want. And I want what I don't want because I like you more than my will itself. Therefore, I'm putting self-determination to an end. I do not determine my paths. I do not determine my success. I do not determine the roads I will travel. I cease to determine these things. And as you begin to do it, you will find presence increasing. And you engaging presence at a level you've never engaged it in. I guarantee this. I guarantee this. We started with the hardest thing first. Gets a little easier after this. Second, if you want presence to increase, be okay with being misunderstood. If you want presence to increase, be all right with being misunderstood or accused without cause. It must be without cause. Eh? If, you, if there are accusations, they must be without cause. And be okay with being misunderstood. If we place such high value on being understood that it gets in the way of doing what God wants to do. It gets in the way of the presence of God. What do we mean when we say we want to be understood? Uh, I, I want you to, no, let her misunderstand me. If I'm willing to have a misunderstand me to do what God wants me to do, then you will know the presence of God. It's always been that way. I don't know of a person in the Bible who did well, whose family and friends did not misunderstand him. Not one. Not one. Those things are so sacrosanct in this culture of ours that, my God, we will not let it go. And not one person. You take those heroes in the Bible. Show me one person whose family or friends did not misunderstand him. Starting from Jesus. Go all the way to Abraham. Yeah. If you're trying to come up with a person, there might be one. No, okay. <laughs> if, you're if your misunderstanding hurts them, then you try not to be God and try not to be comforter. God can comfort them. The question is, she has a question to your question. Yeah. So he's saying, if, in, if my taking a stance causes misunderstanding that causes you hurt, am I supposed to do anything with it? There might be exceptions, but sometimes when my stance causes you hurt and it is the correct stance, then I need to let God be God in your life 
than trying to fix it. You know why I try to fix it? Half the time I'm trying to fix it because I want you to understand why I'm being misunderstood. You might think, Jacob, this is going to increase presence? Guaranteed. Each of these men or women who were misunderstood by family and friends were men and women who immediately after that had the presence of God come upon them in such power because they had chosen their priority and their allegiance. Presence is expensive. Presence is costly. Presence is costly. Presence, the presence of God dwells in you. That is taken care of. That the cost was paid by someone else. Now if you want to be aware and walk in that presence, the cost has to be paid by you. The cost of dwelling has been paid by Christ. The cost of walking in the dwelling has to be paid by you. Presence is costly. Third. The less I strive to be dominant, the more, the less I strive to be dominant, the more his life emerges, the more his presence emerges the more his presence emerges. The less I strive to be dominant. Jacob, what do you mean by less I strive to be dominant? The less I want my um, life to matter in a situation that I have worked in. The less I want my life to matter in a relationship where I have been a benefactor. The less I want to be dominant in any situation where I am owed um, gratitude. The less I want to be dominant in a situation for which I have sweat, blood and tears. The less I want to be dominant in a situation where I have been given the right to be dominant. The less I want to be dominant in situations, the more his life emerges. The less I am dominant at Acts 29, the more the presence of God will emerge through my life. The less controlling I am here in this church, the more the presence of God will control. Dominance always happens in terms of relationships, see? You can't be dominant in a vacuum. Dominance always happens in relationship. The less dominant I am in a relationship where I might have the right to be dominant, the less dominant I am the more the presence of God begins to flow. Jonathan Shilpa should have warned you this will go on for a while. If she didn't, it's her fault. Huh? <laughs> Any questions on that? I won't be able to finish but I'll finish three more and then we'll stop. Any questions on that? Yes. 
here, I'm telling you this really works, eh? So, um, in a relationship as a husband, if you learn how not to be dominant, you will find the presence of God working through your life, affecting your child and your wife, or your children and your wife. In your um, business, when you realize that you have the right to be dominant and you're choosing not to be dominant, you will find the presence of God hit your business or your life or your workplace like you never know before. Christ had every right, yet he chose not to be dominant. He chose not, not just to be dominant, he chose the other route of being dominated. And yet presence was powerful, man. It's an upside down kingdom. It's never top down. Ah, the next one is beautiful. The less I am my own, the more I am the bread of his presence. Ah, beautiful. The less I am my own, the more I am the bread of his presence. Broken before and for many. It's a beautiful line. The less I am my own, the more I am the bread of his presence. You know, there used to be this thing called bread of presence. It used to be 12 loaves of bread arranged in a, a row of three, four each rows of three. It was placed in the Holy of Holies. It was called the bread of his presence. It would be renewed every week. It would be broken and the priests could eat it. The less I am my own, as in the more you are willing to cancel your independent private life and put yourself out into the world as Christ your master did. The less I am my own, the more I become the bread of his presence, broken before people and for people. It is not sufficient that I break pieces of bread at home and then go distribute. No, no, no. I should be broken before people and for people because that is what my master Christ did and that is what is expected of me. Some of you do that so well. And I'm not counting myself among those. Some of you do that so well. And the presence of God will just fill every piece of you that is broken becomes life to another then all these principles are drawn from the life of Christ guys the more I am my own the more I will know my presence the more I am my own the more I will know my presence. <laughs> we'll do one more. Any questions, guys? Broken before others, broken for others, so that they may eat and be strengthened. 
When I look at a guy like Jeevan, I always think of Jeevan when I think of this line. I think of others too, but let me just take one guy. I think Jeevan does this. His day has 29 hours. Mine only has 22. Well done, Jeevan. I can think of a few others, but then you might get left out. So let's just stop with one. Safe. Any questions? Okay, one more. It's one of my favorite things to do. If you want to increase in presence, ah, that's this ugly word. I said this once before. Humility is unafraid. You know why? Humility is unafraid. You know why? Because it does not seek to protect dignity, reputation, rights, standing, worth, Humility is unafraid because it refuses or does not seek to protect reputation. It does not seek to protect pride, dignity, words, rights, deservedness. It doesn't seek to protect it. It is unafraid. You cannot do something to a person who begins to walk like this. You can't rob him. You can't exploit him. You cannot offend him. Someone was telling me it was Michael W. Smith's 40th anniversary coming up next week or something. And there's this huge concert being done for him. I remember one interview that stayed with me where Michael W. Smith said, uh, was asked, what do you want to become in the near future? And he said, I want to become a man who is not offended. I heard that and I thought to myself, gosh, man, what a thing to desire. I want to become a man who's not offended. Or how do you not be offended? This is one way you, you, you become someone who's not offended. Humility is unafraid. Humility is unafraid because it seeks not to protect. Seeks not to protect what? Doesn't seek to protect dignity, worth, deservedness, rights, pride. Doesn't protect any of these. Now what can you take from me? How can you offend me? How can you exploit me? And when this happens, Philippians 2.9 kicks in. And so he, though he was equal with God, chose not to hold on to his advantages as God or to his position, but instead laid them down and took on the form of a servant and that too a bond servant. And because he has, therefore God has now exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ alone is Lord. Put your name in there and try it out. You will find both the known world, the seen world and the unseen world beginning to be afraid of the presence of God in you because the one thing your God always has been. He has been a servant. He has been meek. He has been lowly from the beginning.
It is one characteristic that is hardest for humans to share and it is the one characteristic that humans, if they get, will get God. These, sorry, Philippians 2.9. I'll stop here, guys, but the thing is, these are such simple methods to increase presence. I wish it were more complicated. I wish it were more profound. But I guarantee you, go over this. You will find it working. You will find it working. Like Liji was saying, guys, it is not enough to hear a teaching. It is important to practice a teaching. It is not enough to preach a teaching. It must be practiced before it can be preached even. You must be on this road before you can begin to talk about it. Show people, man. Because at the end of the day, the invisible rule of God through an invisible Holy Spirit in your invisible inner man must be made visible. Righteousness, peace, joy and power. If they remain invisible, do you no good? And does the world no good? It must be made visible. Make visible your righteousness. Make visible your peace and joy. Make visible the power of God that dwells in you in his fullness. We'll talk about the rest next week. Hey, I want to show you a picture. Ryan? I love this picture. Not this one. I love this picture. Because every time I look at this, I think of exactly what we've spoken about. Uh, Not because I have a fascination with vegetables, nor do I know the lady, but it's just uh, this idea of hiddenness where you just disappear into the background, eh? See the guy? He does this so often. He just, he has this ability to, his name is Lou Bolin, B-O-L-I-N. And he, he does this for a living. He just, he just, he just disappears into the background. And this lady got a shock when he suddenly said hello. Because she couldn't see him. I carry a few pictures like this to talk about this idea of being hidden. Where on one hand, his presence becomes so powerful that even though you might be the most brilliant guy in the room, your light still doesn't compare to what is happening. L-I-U-B-O-L-I-N. L-I-U, last name Bolin, B-O-L-I-N. Don't Google him right now, let me finish. (laughs) Yeah, so... uh, so guys, never be, ne- don't play down your brilliance. You are brilliant because God either gave you some unique talents and abilities or gifted you with certain amazing spiritual gifts or natural gifts. Do not play down your brilliance. It's a shame when you play down your brilliance. But when we begin to follow these principles that I've just laid down and his presence begins to increase, even your brilliance is like a candle against a blazing fire. It will be noticed, but it is not important. I love it when I have done an extremely good job and I know it myself. And yet somehow 
I'm not receiving the attention that I would normally receive. Why? Because something else transpired there where people are just surprised by God. Get there. This, this humility stuff where you say, oh, praise the Lord. That is ugly. Huh? God likes it when you do well. Is your business prospering? Well done. Are you being rewarded at work? Well done. When you sang, did you become America's idol? Even though it's called American Idol and you are the idol, well done. Was this preaching really good? Well done, Jacob. Was the worship led well? Well done. And then after all that is over, you have this ability where people forget you and just remember what transpired. That is hiddenness. Yearn for that, eh? And then the flip side of it is, learn presence first in the unseen. God is hidden. He loves speaking spirit to spirit, deep to deep. Try to meet him there in his favorite environment in his favorite environment. You know, there's a word called anthropomorphic. All it means is God who is spirit had to say, I will show you my face. I will lift you up with my right hand. I will show you my back. I will uh, uh, put my finger upon you. I will write with my finger. It's not like God suddenly developed fingers and a face and a back. It's this idea of God trying to convey to us humans. Let me put this off before I say the next thing. Now they'll wonder what the next thing is. I would suggest to you, 